Recovery Elevator episode 469. Gratitude that I was able to be by their side in, in my sound mind with no hangovers, with no guilt. I've been able to be there for them because of my sobriety. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill, and I'm so excited to be here with you today. On today's episode, we have Lisa. She's 66 years old from Atlanta, Georgia, and took her last drink on November 16th, 2022. Great job, Lisa. I want to say thank you to all of our Cafe Area chat hosts. You guys are the best. Listeners, today is going to be a good day. I can feel it. I know it. Today has already been a good day. I want to give a shout out to Clay Trihub. Now, where are they now? So one of my best sober buddies, Dusty, who's been on this podcast twice, episode 206 and 300, recently had a baby boy named Kalei. Without the booze, anything is possible. Great job, Dusty, and welcome to this world, Clay. Before we get any further in this episode, let's hear from my favorite resource, Cafe RE. When I decided I wanted to pursue an alcohol-free life, I knew I didn't want to do it alone. I joined Cafe RE almost immediately after I found it, and I was so surprised at the amount of grace, support, and love that was offered to me right away. One of the things I quickly realized was that I had a lot in common with the people in this community, people all over the world with similar feelings and struggles that understood me. Community matters, and lining up with people that have the same goal in mind really helped me stay the course on my journey especially when I came across bumps on the road. When joining Cafe RE, you get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to live an alcohol-free life. These groups are capped at under 400 members to ensure quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking can be fun. For $24 a month, you get access to the community, you get paired with an accountability partner if you request to be matched, you can attend educational online webinars, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and more. You'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. 10% of monthly fees goes towards our service project, where we work with a nonprofit helping those who have been affected by addiction. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I can't wait to meet you there. Okay, let's get started. I came across an article from the Pew Research Center, which has 10 facts about Americans and their drinking habits that I want to share with you. Let's dive right into this. Number one, overall, 62% of U.S. adults say they drink alcohol, while 38% abstain completely. Now, Gallup has asked Americans for more than eight decades, and the peak in drinking was in the 1970s when 71% of Americans said they drink. Now, the key takeaway here is that not everybody is kung fu fighting. Almost 40% of Americans don't drink, and that number is rising. Number two, most adults who drink have done so recently. Of the 62% of Americans who do drink, 70% of them said they had their last drink within the past week. And 32% of those say their most recent drink was in the last 24 hours. Okay, number three. About one in five adults, 19%, say they sometimes drink more than they should. And some demographics are more likely to say this than others. Men are more likely than women to say that sometimes they overindulge. 21% for men, 16% for women. Now, upper income adults, 24% of adults with annual household incomes of at least 100K say they occasionally drink too much compared with 10% of those with household incomes of less than 40,000. Now, P. Diddy was on to something. Number four, among adults who don't drink, again, this is 38% of the U.S. population. The most common reason given is that they just don't want to. Lucky ducks. About a quarter of non-drinkers, 24%, say in an open-ended question that they have no desire to drink or do not want to. Now, I personally can happily report that the desire, the craving has been lifted with myself as well, and I also do not want to drink. Number five, on average, Americans have been consuming more alcohol in recent years, according to the NIAAA, 
which has data going back to 1970. In 2021, the most recent year with data, the average American age 21 or older consumed 2.83 gallons of pure alcohol. That's the equivalent of about 603 standard drinks. Now, per capita alcohol consumption peaked in the early 80s with 3.28 gallons per person or almost 700 drinks, and then it bottomed out in the late 90s and has been rising since. Number six, Americans drink less beer and more wine than they used to. The peak year for beer consumption was 1981 when the typical American drank 36.7 gallons of beer per year. My goodness, that seems like a lot. Over the past four decades, the amount of wine the average American drink annually rose from 3.2 to 3.8 gallons. Number seven, geographically per capita alcohol consumption appears to be the highest in the West and lowest in the South based on the NIAA data. On the state level, it appears to be the highest in New Hampshire and Delaware and lowest in Utah. Those Mormons are on to something. Here's a cool one. Young adults today are less likely to drink than young adults two decades ago. The share of adults ages 18 to 34 who say they ever drink dropped from 72% in 2001 to 62% in 2021. That is so awesome to read. Number nine, underage drinking among U.S. teens has declined over the last 20 years, according to the University of Michigan's Monitoring for the Future survey. In 2023, 46% of seniors in high school said they had consumed alcohol in the past 12 months. These shares are down from 2001 when 73% of high school seniors said they had a drink in the last 12 months. Number 10, annual sales at beer, wine, and liquor stores have been on the rise, typically peaking each year in December. Even after adjusting for inflation, sales at beer, wine, and liquor stores have risen gradually throughout the 2000s and 2010s until spiking in the early months of COVID. Since COVID has stopped, consumption has lowered, but it's still higher than pre-pandemic levels. Number 11, and I added this one, alcohol is shit. Actually, I take that back. Alcohol or ethanol is a great way to sterilize something. It's great if you want to power a combustible engine. It's also a great option if you're looking for something highly flammable. Ethanol is also a solid choice if you're looking for rocket fuel. Ethanol is great at killing things, which is why it's the base ingredient of most hand sanitizers. Now, alcohol or ethanol does have many great uses, but once this chemical compound enters the body, nothing good happens. Listeners, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Occasionally, I want to throw in some facts or stats about alcohol consumption in America or the world. And the biggest takeaway for me was the first stat that says only 62% of U.S. adults say they drink, while 38% abstain completely. Again, not everyone is kung fu fighting. So there's a voice inside the head that says everybody drinks. But right there, we just debunked that myth. So not everybody drinks. A lot of people don't drink. A lot of people don't drink because they don't want to. Many people don't drink because they're forced to. Whatever the reason is, about 40% of Americans don't drink. And although alcohol consumption is rising, we're seeing the younger generations say no, like no previous generation has done so. And before we hear from Lisa, let's hear from a fantastic sponsor, Soberlink. Recovery Elevator listeners, let's talk resolutions. Statistically, only about 10% of people achieve their New Year's goals, while a staggering 80% admit defeat. Why? They lack accountability. After all, how would we really know if you cheated? If you were using Soberlink to maintain sobriety, your support network would know. Soberlink is the only high-tech breathalyzer system that will truly hold you accountable when cravings get a little too loud. Here's why it has our stamp of approval. You'll test at the same time every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Devices have built-in facial recognition so it knows it's you that's testing. Tamper sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping to rebuild trust and prevent relapse. Start this year the way you intend to finish it, sober. 
visit www.soberlink.com forward slash recovery dash elevator to sign up and receive $50 off of a device. Lisa, how are you? Doing wonderful, Paul. Thank you. Okay, Lisa, great to have you back on the podcast. Listeners, I occasionally have past interviewees back on the podcast, kind of like a where are they now type deal. And listeners, Lisa came on first, the Recovery Elevator podcast on January 2nd, 2023. This was episode 411, if you want to go back to it, but we're going to cover all her story again in this episode. So 58 weeks ago, Lisa was on this podcast. She did that interview when she had 23 days away from alcohol. Lisa, I'm going to ask you a question right now. When was your last drink? My last drink was November 16th, 2022. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So you've kept the streak alive. Am I correct? Obviously. I have with no data points along the way. For sure. How do you feel today? Oh, gosh. I'm so full of wonderful, warm emotions. Um, Mentally, emotionally, physically, I feel phenomenal. I just... It, it's that feeling along with so many other things that will keep me from ever, ever hopefully going back to where I was before November 16th. Most definitely. And I've seen this before. It's almost the universe acts in your favor saying, hey, it's time to ditch the booze because life is going to happen. And we'll talk about the last eight weeks of your life as we get into it organically through the podcast interview. But first, give listeners a little bit about yourself, Lisa, where you're from, maybe what you do for your living, your age, uh, do you have a family? And most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? Okay. I'm 66 years old. I live in a Northwest suburb of Atlanta. I'm married to a wonderful, wonderful man. And I've been married for 37 years. Uh, We have two adult children and one lives in the Atlanta area, another up in New York city. So we're all very close. I grow, I, I have uh, for fun, gosh, I do a lot of things. I actually spent a lot of time in the mornings working out just, and I did that post-drinking and pre-drinking. Um, I do, we do a lot of travel. Last year, we did not do any, but we're ramping up for 2024 to get back to travel, a lot of international travel. So I'm really, really looking forward to that. I love to read, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I enjoy spending time with uh, my friends and of course, just my family. What's so, on the bucket list in terms of travel? Where are you going next? Well, the next the next big travel for us, the fun travel, is uh, to Greece in May. And then we just booked last week uh, for January 2025, the Antarctic. And that will be, we've and when we get there, it'll be, we've been on, we'll be, we will have been on every continent there is to be on. So all seven continents. Yeah, check that out. And you're going to be more present less hangovers, hopefully no hangovers, and really be there in the moment. I love it, Lisa. Well, let's do what we came here to do, which is to share your story with alcohol. This could be into a drinking problem and out of it, of course. Again, I think you got over 400 days alcohol-free. I love to hear you're on the current sobriety streak. Uh, Let's do this. I'm going to let you take it from wherever you want to start, Lisa. Okay. Well, I'll take it from just my childhood. I grew up in a a household with a mom and a dad, three sisters. And, you know, we were a close family. We continued to be a close family all our lives. Um, but my mom and dad were not made for each other. They were not meant for each other and had a pretty miserable marriage. So my mom drank. That was her outlet. And I just remember in middle school, the drinking got pretty bad. Um, I think a lot of that caused a lot of my just inner challenges, if you will. And um, like so many others, I picked up that first drink in high school. And for me, it was just the ability to break loose, to feel free, to feel comfortable, to feel confident in myself. Lisa, with that Mm -hmm. first drink, got a question. Do you remember Mm -hmm. what that was like, your experience on that first drink? That first drink was a beer and... I don't remember exactly. It didn't have that. I don't think it had that wow for me, but I do think, you know, subsequently I learned very quick that it gave me the confidence I needed. Gotcha. Okay. Keep going. So in high school, I definitely drank on the weekends to be cool, to be accepted, 
to not feel insecure. I was always the tallest in my class growing up. Even in first grade, I was taller than my first grade nun, who was quite short, by the way. But my nickname was Jolly Green Giant, and I hated that nickname. So that insecurity started very early. And uh, But the alcohol gave me the confidence to be the person that I wanted to be, but never felt I was. So that's kind of my journey in high school. And then after I got out of college, goodness, I went to a college where the drinking age was 18. So we, you know, did our, and then I was in a sorority. So, you know, how that goes, the drinking, the partying, and never thought twice about it. But I was uh, told by many that I had a hollow leg and I took, I was very proudful of that. (laughs) Um, When I got out of college in the twenties, I got into the corporate world a lot of, I was in the computer software business at the time. It was an enormously fast growing business. And there was just a lot of money thrown at parties and sales meetings and conferences. And so I certainly had my share of drinking and met my husband in the mid twenties. And um, we continued on. He was not ever a big drinker and still is not. But I'd say, you know, once I married uh, my husband and in my 20s and 30s, with the exception of the times I was pregnant, continued to drink, but not to the point where I felt it was anything outside of the ordinary. I just really knew I liked to drink, maybe was aware that I had a harder time with the off switch than most people. Real quick, Mm -hmm. Lisa, you know, in college, you got the nickname hollow leg. That's funny. And back to the jolly green (laughs) giant thing. My name is Paul. Do you know when, how many effing times somebody has offered me a cracker? Like Polly want a cracker and not once at the end of it, I've found that, yes, give me a cracker. Not one of them ever had a cracker. That's what my mom told me to tell them when I was in elementary school, ask them for that cracker. They never had it. So I feel your pain with that. But, you know, you got the hollow leg nickname in your 20s. In your 20s and 30s, was there ever, apart from you said, like the off switch is becoming a little difficult, but was there ever any red flags raised maybe besides that? No, there really wasn't. I mean, surprisingly, other than, you know, the horrible hangovers I would frequently have. And I must have, now that I think back, you know, moderated a lot when the kids are real small, because I don't know, you know, I, I, I did not, by the way, my drinking was always, you know, at night or at parties, never during the day, but even back then, I knew back then, I remember back then, you know, after dinner, I could, uh, the off switch did come Gotcha. later on, which we'll get into that stopped happening. Okay, cool. Keep going. So in the uh, 40s, my husband and I both got out of the corporate rat race. We bought our own business and it was tr- very, very stressful. It was a very successful business, but it was incredibly stressful. And I really think that's when everything ramped up to another notch where I would come home and, you know, drink my wine. But I believe if I think back, that's probably when I started hiding it. My husband was calling me out on it, uh, didn't like it. And I think I started hiding it. It wasn't a daily thing back then, but it was probably most days. I, I I could not have it and move on. And um, so, but I knew it was getting worse. I, he would occasionally find it. And I was buying that, you know, the two liter bottles of the cheap wine, by the way. And my, during all this time, my husband's a wine collector, so he's got a wine cellar. And even now, I mean, there's probably about 1200 bottles in that wine cellar. It now has a lock on it, but um, <laughs> you know, it. but I was still not drinking that wine so much. I was buying the $2, you know, two, two buck chuck stuff and hiding it. And then it was, I think when I was 49, because the, the 50, when I turned 50, I remember I did, wasn't drinking at that time. When I was 49, I had a fall and a blackout that made my face black and blue. And I didn't remember it the next morning. But what I did do, because I wasn't sure what happened is I went to the doctor and the doctor had asked if I was drinking and I said, yes, but I lied on the amount. And he determined that it guessed that I had had a blackout and gave me the name of a counselor who I went to. And that counselor put me in touch with somebody and I ended up going to AA. And I got sober for a year. I stopped drinking through AA, but it was really nothing that I really worked. I did not work the program. I just kind of did it through my own resolve, through grin and bear, white knuckling. And uh, when I turned, well, a little after 50, I uh, went back right after the one year sobriety point, just because I thought that I had it under control and I could moderate again. Question, Lisa, and I think this uh-huh. is 27 years ago, if my math is correct. Did you have that one year as like a barometer as soon as I hit that 
or a set date, like I'm good. Was there a voice that said, I got this? Yeah. How come you went back to drinking? Not intentionally, but I think as I got closer to that one year and I was at a friend's Christmas party, I think I just convinced myself at that party because everybody around me was drinking that I, I think I convinced myself that night. So it was not something I was leading up to, but once I went back, it continued to go, you know, straightforward, full force, faster. When you say faster, talk about the progression. Was it like a couple months or, or after the year of sobriety, whatnot? How fast did it take you to get right back to where you were drinking before those levels? And then talk to us about the progression. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I was so aware that I wanted that drink too much after I had stopped and went back. And so I did try to moderate. So I was trying to control myself. I would speculate three, four months. And after, you know, but, but then I stopped thinking about it. I think I probably even stopped trying here and there. I would still try and go, you know, two, three, four days. Sometimes I'd go two weeks. You know, there was one stretch where I actually went three months, but the progression just happened. And it really happened at the point where we sold our business and I was 57 and I, we retired. My husband's a little bit older. He was ready to retire. So we retired together. And when I retired, I really didn't know what to do with myself. By that time, by the way, I was, the reason it, the timing was good for our retirement is my, my mother who was living near me had a bad fall. And so I was able to care for her. So that kind of took some of my time initially away from when I retired. But once she recovered from the, the fall and didn't need me, you know, she had gone to rehab uh, and you know, was able to walk again and so forth. Then I'm back to, holy crap, now what? And then I really think the drinking started getting worse. But during that time and over the next eight years or so, seven years, my mom also started getting worse, more falls, more stress. She's living five minutes from me. So my care for her became almost a daily thing. And it was very, very stressful. So the drinking then became a nightly thing. And I was up to two bottles of wine a night. And I never felt like I'm walking funny. I never felt like I was talking funny. Of course, my husband kind of knew, but I think I could still hide it from him. God knows how, but I uh, just knew I couldn't stop. And I had tried so many times and I am faithful, but during this time, I kind of got away from my faith. I would pray here and there, still go to church every Sunday, but I would pray and really wonder why he wasn't answering. You know, come on, God, you said you answer prayers. Where are you? And so it really wasn't until the night I got sober, November 16th, when I'm, and I said this in my earlier podcast, that I'm pouring a glass of wine I didn't want and asking God, where the heck is he? But at the same time saying, but I'm done, God, you know, I'm done. This is my last drink and I mean it. And I am going to do whatever it takes because leading up to this too, I was feeling horrible. I, my health, I felt was not good. My energy level was not good. By the way, that did not stop me from working out every morning for two hours, you know, to try to be healthy because that's, that's how I, you know, justified it. Well, I'm still healthy. I'm working out. So I still managed to do that. But I just knew this was, a, this, I was going down the hill and I was going faster because now I couldn't even go a night and I couldn't stop at one and a half bottles. I was on that two bottle and I really, really was scared. And so that night of November 16th, I made a promise to myself and I just told God, I, I can't do this anymore. I need your help. And if you're not there, I'm going to do it anyway. And I woke up on November 17th with a resolve that I knew usually by two and three in the afternoon started dissipating, but it didn't. And I just never looked back. I never turned around. I decided though that I did need to get some help. So I went to AA and I didn't like AA the first time. And I went to a couple meetings and it just was not connecting. So I joined a group called Sober Sis. I found her on Facebook. Her name is Jen Couch. And I, and by the way, and I also joined a Cafe RE and connected with many ladies. And I just made all of these connections. And what I forgot to say is that after my podcast interview with you, uh, January 2nd, which is when it went out, I, you forwarded me many messages from people that sent in messages to you. And I've connected with each and every one of them. And I am still connected with these ladies today. And there's one group in Atlanta, we're supposed to have lunch next week. And we do a quarterly lunch group. 
of these RE Cafe girls wow. or just the ones that, yeah, that wrote in. Paul, yeah. it's been it's been magical. And then through my sober cis group, which at the time when I was on the podcast, I was in what they call it, her, what Jen calls this 21 day reset. I was on my day nine. And then from there, I went into another program that extended beyond the 21, which was AFL, Alcohol Free Life. And that was a 10 week program, but I made connections. I made connections with some wonderful sober cis girls too. And um, we have stayed connected. We've become, I've become very close with just a wonderful group of like-minded ladies. In fact, at the end of this month, I'm going to Florida to meet up with a bunch of them. And we had a rendezvous in North Carolina at one of the gals' cabins in, in, several months ago. So between Recovery Elevator and Sober Cess and the, and the connections I have made through that those two programs, it's been life-changing for me. And wow. it's allowed me to stay sober. That and my faith in God and the the tools that I've learned through sober cess too, and through your through a recovery, you know, through Cafe RE, the tools that I learned that I go back to when I feel an urge. Lisa, I've heard the word connection already in this episode, maybe seven, eight, nine, ten times. I've dropped it, I don't know, several hundred thousand times. That's an exaggeration, but you get the point. Connection is key. And we're we're gonna get there in a second. I want to ask you that question, but go back. You said such a beautiful line that you were pouring yourself a drink that you didn't even want. I think as awareness builds of, oh, this is getting harder to stop once I start, there is a progression. Like we have awareness, we're able to see it. And you know, how did that feel? Like, can you zoom in on that feeling? I'm pouring a drink I don't even want. You were talking to a higher power, the universe, some call it God, and saying, hey, you haven't been listening, but the next day was your sobriety date. Like just comment on the two of those right there for me. Yeah, well, the drink I didn't even want. It was no longer about the alcohol and the it was all it was all about the first 20 minute rush that we get of total relaxation. That's all I needed to grab. And so it was not even sipping anymore. It was gulping. I needed that 20 minutes of just relaxation of de-chilling because I had no coping. I did not have any coping skills. The only coping skill I had was the numbness that the alcohol brought on. The things that it does to the brain, which, you know, and I mentioned this too in my prior podcast, the uh, Huberman Lab podcast, you know, I know what it does to the brain and the dopamine and the, you know, it just, it, it works for until it doesn't. And it works for a very short period of time, 20 minutes or so, 25 minutes, those first handful of drinks, and then it stops working. And so that was, I just really realized it, I can't keep going like this because if it's only 20 minutes for all the pain it's causing me, it's not going to be worth it anymore because I'm going to die. And I don't know if this is the right point to kind of go on to the next situation that I had, but I went into 2023 with so much hope that 2023 was going to be my year. It was my year of just wonderful things that are going to come my way because of sobriety. I, you know, I'm thinking clear, I feel clear headed, I'm motivated, I'm excited, I have all these wonderful new friends and connections. 2023 is going to be awesome. Well, it wasn't. Come 2020, uh, March, of, um, I was getting ready for a knee replacement. I knew I was going to do that. So that was planned. I was even looking forward to that because I could get back to my travels. So 2020, March of 2023, I went in for my pre-op for my, and um, they did an EKG. And the doctor came back and said, you have an, uh, a, left bundle a left bundle branch block in your heart, which is a, an electrical problem in my heart that I did not have, by the way, in 2019 when I had my last EKG. And it's, it can be a very significant heart problem. And just between you and I and everybody listening, I really think it's the alcohol that could have directly caused this, this LBBB which is the shortening for left bundle branch block. And so I had to go through a whole slew of heart tests with the cardio doctor. Turns out there's no cause for that, fortunately. There's no cardio, um, no uh, damage that I've done to the heart, but it can't, it'll never go away. So I ended up, you know, getting that cleared for surgery. And then I went in April to Dallas to a sober cis conference. And when I was at this conference, I realized that I wasn't seeing well that there is a blur in one eye when I closed it. And even with contacts, you know, with my contacts in, I could barely read anything. 
So as soon as I got back from the conference, I went to an eye doctor and found out that I had a hole in my macula, Yikes. which yeah, which is the outer layer of the eye and required surgery. And they did the surgery, which was the surgery itself wasn't bad, but for the following five days, for 22 out of 24 hours a day, I had to lay on my stomach face down. Wow. But that was my recovery. If I had, if I was still drinking, by the way, Paul, I would have probably had a long straw in a glass right up to my mouth as my head hung over that ottoman that I just had to stare up the floor at. For both of those health scares, if alcohol was part of your life, number one, that heart of the heart issue could be potentially much worse, right? And like Absolutely. you said, on your on your stomach with just a lot giant straw out of a sippy cup, right? <laughs> and yet I stayed strong. I did. And um, so I could I could get up, I could lift my head to eat briefly and to go to the bathroom. That was about it. But I got over that, the uh, surgery worked, the hole healed, and then I had my knee replacement. And that was a tough knee replacement. I was supposed to have the second one, uh, thanks mom to my hurt bad genetics on knees, but I had the other one scheduled for eight weeks after that, but the it was a very difficult recovery. So that too, you know, would have sent me back to the liquor store to buy the wine. But I didn't. I stayed strong. I used the tools that I had learned through Sober Sis, the tools that I've learned through Recovery Elevator, other people on your podcast through Cafe RE. I used those tools. And then, and that's what kept me sober. And then in my own resolve and my strong faith, then I was going to get my second knee replacement. And I was with a group of our Recovery Elevator girls for lunch. And not knowing at the time I was sitting next to one of them who had COVID. So I came down with COVID and it was a bad case. I recovered from COVID two, for two days and came down with a relapse two days later. So two weeks back to back COVID. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Cleared from that. Um, had my second knee replacement. That was another very, very difficult um, recovery. If anybody's had that, you know how difficult it is. And then I'm thinking, okay, I'm back on my Peloton. I can, I'm recovering. Now I'm at about the eight, 10 week point. And my mom started going downhill. And um, to fast forward ahead, she, we knew she wasn't, she was going downhill fast and she passed away on November 24th of this year, of this past year. She, it was the day after Thanksgiving and I stayed sober. I was so thankful for my sobriety. Um, so it, and again, the tools that I've learned, my friends, my faith, that's what kept me sober. And my strong, strong desire never, ever to go down that rabbit hole again. So we got through that. And it was one week after my mom's passing. I was going to the funeral home to pick up her ashes to bring her home. And my phone rings and it's my sister to tell me my father had just had a bad fall and was en route to the hospital. Um, of course, you know, they've been divorced since 76. So they haven't, you know, they've been two different states. So he's in Oregon. I'm in Atlanta. So I jumped on a plane and got out to Oregon and met him at the hospital. And then I got him into recover, into the rehab. And it was going well. My sisters, we all, you know, took turns caring for him. We brought him back home. He still, uh, you know, was in his house independent. And, but we realized he couldn't live independently. So we knew we had to get him into a skilled care. But fast forwarding ahead, he ended up going downhill and less than eight weeks before eight weeks between when my mom passed, my father passed away. So my father passed away just 11 days ago. And um, I've been strong. I really have. I have let the tears flow. I'm trying to feel the feels as we all have to do when we go through grief. I listened to Andrea's podcast that you had on your on Recovery Elevator this oh, past Monday. That was powerful. And Andrea, if you're listening, I just want you to know my prayers go out for you for the loss of your daughter. I just, you know, it's one thing losing a parent who's had a full life and my parents had. It's another whole, whole thing losing a child who goes before you. So even with the passing of my parents, number one, my faith has carried me strong through this. But so has gratitude, gratitude for having them as long as I have, gratitude that I was able to be by their side in, in my sound mind with no hangovers, with no guilt. I've been able to be there for them because of my sobriety. So I guess to kind of pull it all together, sobriety doesn't guarantee anything. It doesn't guarantee smooth sailing. 
If anything, I'm case in point that sobriety absolutely does not mean smooth smooth sailing. I no way, no how could have gotten through this past year, given everything that I've been dealt with, dealt, had to deal with, if I didn't have my sobriety. So it has been everything for me. That and my connections through Sober Sis and Recovery Elevator and through my faith and my family, it's been everything. So Lisa, I want to say sorry for your loss. You lost both your parents within eight weeks, all the challenges earlier that year with your heart, with the eye, double knees, or one new replacement, or maybe there's two long recovery. As I mentioned, listeners, she was sober for all of this. This is the current run from November 16th, 2022. And as I said earlier in the podcast, you know, this is a common theme that I've heard. It's almost like the universe will say, yo, Lisa, it's time to quit because the challenges that the higher power, the universe, whatever is going to put on your plate in the future, if alcohol is involved, you, or I'm going to say anybody with the progression where you're at before that, you would have been a goner. Like, you, know, you probably wouldn't be here. I, I, I don't know. I can't say that for sure. The only thing that would have probably kept me here, quite honestly, is my love for my family and not wanting to cause additional pain for them. And my faith. I mean, I'm not a suicidal type of person, but I would have probably moved from that nightly drinking and because my drinking was at night, it probably would have been a 24-7 at that point. Sure. And progression decline. And then it's you. So I asked the question earlier is, you know, comment more on your faith with that night when you said, Hey God, I've been asking for a long time. seems like you're ignoring me. So that's cool, but I'm going to do this on my own. And the next day you're running with it. Have you, how has your faith evolved? How has your faith, this is higher power type stuff, God, whatnot, the universe, you know, how has that been a part of you? You keep saying it's your faith is strong. Cover that a little bit more for us, please. Yeah, it is absolutely everything. The first thing I do in my in the morning is a Bible study that I do with a group of sober cis girls that I have you know connected with, and um, I I do so I do the Bible reading and I before that though I do gra- I I have a gratitude I just talk to him and I just give him thanks and, and gratitude for everything that I have, and I'm at the point now in my faith that I just talk to him during the day. You know, I, if I, I mean, it may sound silly, but I sometimes question if I should get on the freeway or take the side road the longer way to somewhere. And I'll say, what do you think? What do you got, God? And I really just feel, you know, I, I just feel that I get this, this nudge. Um, here's a nudge about when I was flying back from my father's, um, when I went out for the hospital to see, you know, to see him in the hospital and to get him into rehab. I was had a window and it's a five hour flight. I had a window seat and I was in the middle of a movie. I was very much and all the you know the, the shades were all closed. And I had this nudge, open up your window. And I'm thinking it's dark out, you know, but I opened it up and I wish I could show you a picture. The most incredible sunset on the horizon I have ever, ever seen in my life. And I just all I did is said, thank you, God. You gave that to me and it was a nudge in, in, in the middle of a movie. So I get that. I, he talks to me and I hear him. So is my faith, my faith has, was always there, but it was there when I wanted him to be, mm-hmm. when I needed him. Now I just make my faith a part of my daily moving about. Lisa, talk to me about gratitude with the challenges this past year. It would be easy to, to let that go. Come on, F you. What's going on? Why me? But it sounds like, you know what? Thank you for these challenges, universe. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Comment on that. Gratitude is so easy to do, but so easy to overlook. And it's interesting because even before I got sober, I knew that, you know, I, because I had read and heard gratitude might help me. So I tried to have gratitude. And I would sit in the morning in my chair, hungover, but I would thank God for my family. I would thank God for all the wonderful things I had, but it didn't dawn on me until after I got sober that I always felt guilty almost having gratitude because I was so thankful for all these things, yet I was still doing such damage and destruction to my body that I felt guilty almost being grateful. I don't know if that makes any sense, but once I got sober, now I'm grateful with a passion because I don't have that guilt that goes behind being grateful, which I know sounds kind of strange, but uh, having gratitude and just being thankful for the big things and the small things helps 
ground me, helps make me realize what's really important in life. And gratitude helps me stay positive when shit hits the fan. Gratitude helps me just focus on the next step I need to make when things aren't going well, because I know that I could drown myself in negativity. And I've done that. I've proven to myself it works real well. Negativity drives more negativity. But then where does that get you? But being grateful just makes you appreciate the things around you that you never otherwise, a lot of it, you wouldn't even look at a second, you know, the the trees, the flowers, you know, it sounds kind of cliche, but there's a lot to it in, you know, the, the dopamine, the, it, there's a lot of science behind gratitude. And I just want to start my day. And I do start my day every day with that. And I try to encourage it in my daily living. And even with my father and my mother's passing, I have so much gratitude related to everything, even leading up to it. I'm so grateful I could be by my dad's and mom's side. I'm so grateful that they went peacefully and it just helps me live. What a powerful way of living and gratitude is a feeling. It's an emotion. And I've even seen it quantified as in vibration. You can measure these things when you're feeling lack, you're feeling fear. I think it's called the human toroidal field around you almost shrinks. But when you're, when you're in a praise or a state of gratitude or thankfulness, you expand its expansiveness. I absolutely love it. Um, comment on connection. And, and Lisa, there's something about your voice. Uh, usually with most interviewees, we get an email or two, hey, can we connect? And, and it's not like a service we provide because it can be a lot of <laughs> admin work or whatnot. But Lisa, like you have won the record. We got so many emails after you. And it's like, oh my God, he got another one. Here we go. So, which is great. That's the point of this podcast mm -hmm. is to connect. But how has connection been a part of your of your sobriety? The connections I have made both through Recovery Elevator and Sober Sis are a new level of connection that I could only hope and dream to have. These are girls. These are women, like-minded ladies. A lot of them are my age, but not all of them. Um, some are in their 40s, 50s, 60s, you know, 60s, even 70s. But these are like-minded ladies who undoubtedly are my lifelong friends. Uh, they, are, they have a level one empathy, meaning they fully understand what it feels like to to fight this battle of uh, alcoholism. And it's and it's hard to connect with somebody if they haven't walked the walk. So these connections with my sober cis friends and my recovery elevator friends, we talk the same language. Um, we, and every, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a connection that, and, and I know with AA, they say the same thing, but these ladies that I've connected with are just kind. They're so like-minded. We come from different backgrounds. Some are divorced, some aren't, you know, some have bigger families, grandchildren, some none, you know, um, some are, you know, some working, some not. So we have our differences, but the connection, we connect through the drink. We connect through our challenges in putting down that drink. We connect with knowing firsthand what that obsession is like in the head, what the compulsion is like, and what that draw that draw is to something we know is so damaging and poisonous to us. And so those connections are powerful and we support each other. Um, I do have a couple of gals who I still connect with who are still drinking and, and um, really struggling. But I find myself being able to, and I'm having lunch with one of them on Monday, when I can reach out and help somebody else that's still struggling, I can't fix it for her, only she can fix it herself. We, you know, we've got to have that come from deep within, but I can give her the hope and the inspiration to know, to let her know that there is a solution, but it doesn't come easily. It comes through hard work, but it can be done, but it can't be done alone. It's absolutely nothing that could, I shouldn't say it can't be done. Maybe some people have, but for the most part, 95% of people, it's not this a journey that one can walk, this sobriety to get sober. It's not a journey one can walk on their own. It's alcoholism, the craving, the compulsion is too strong. And we need one another to support each other. We need one another to cry on, to laugh with. And that that and and it can't just be anybody. It's gotta be somebody who's who knows and understands the compulsion and the illness and the craziness that goes on in our minds when we're drinking. So, so I don't think we can even do life 
alone is in we are pack animals we are social creatures that need connections just to survive let alone to quit drinking i fully agree with that lisa in the last 58 weeks since your last interview on the re podcast you have kicked so much butt what is the one thing that you've learned about yourself <laughs> i've learned so many things i think i have a level of resiliency paul that i had no idea i was capable of I've proven that to myself. I surprise myself. I really do. I'm very proud of myself, but resiliency and endurance that I never knew I was capable of. And I know that if I'm capable of it, there's so many people out there listening to this that are too. They just have to give themselves a chance. Lisa, we have reached the rapid fire round. This interview has flown by. I'm so glad I have you back. If you could answer these questions within 10 to 15 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? I'll do my best. All right. Well, you're doing great so far, Lisa. Number one, what's your best sober moment? Sober moment? Oh, easy. Sitting by my mom and dad's bedside as they're on their last moments of breath and being there fully. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, Elisa, what's your favorite alcohol-free drink? Mine are really boring. I drink a lot of tea and soda and cranberry juice. I just haven't gone really much outside of that. What's the point of life? The point of life, I would say, are twofold. First, to live a life that God is tremendously pleased of and and wants for me. And secondly, to live a life full of love from, from my family and my friends. Lisa, what's the best way to relax for you? The best way to relax for me, I love deep breathing. I mean, the quick the quick relax is deep breathing. The other uh, relaxation is being able to exercise and just letting go. Gotcha. Earlier you said you lacked coping mechanisms. I track with that too with my drinking, but what are some coping mechanisms you use now without alcohol? I, the biggest one for me is play it forward. I play it forward all the time. I can't say that I never had a craving during all of these hardship times, but I always play it forward. I said 20 minutes of, you know, relaxation worth the horrible pain it's going to cause me and the guilt and the remorse. And the answer is always no. Lisa, what advice can you give to somebody who is struggling with life? It's coming at them full speed um, and they're struggling with alcohol. I would say the most important thing they need to do is find a way to connect, put themselves out there no matter how uncomfortable it is. And it could be uncomfortable, it will be uncomfortable. Do it anyway, because going back to our prior conversation, we have to have a connection or connections. So reaching out and partnering with others. Absolutely. And Lisa, before we depart, give listeners your own customized, you might need to ditch the booze if line. Oh my goodness gracious. You might need to ditch the booze when you're, and I haven't done this now in 14 months, but when you are pouring water into your, the bottle of wine in the refrigerator, because you don't know, want your husband to know how much wine you really, really drink. Yeah, I've done that. I know a lot of heads are nodding out there. Lisa, so much has changed for you in the last 58 weeks. It's so inspiring to hear the challenges that you faced. It's going to be just life in general, but made it through without alcohol. And even on the flip side, resiliency, right? Composure. Oh my goodness. You have grown so much just from our last interview. And that's the greatest gift that interviewees, the people in our private community uh, have given me. It just I can witness this change and it's almost always in the eyes. And I can see your eyes, Lisa. You've got more light. You are emitting so much light at this moment. Thank you so much, Lisa, for coming on again. Thank you so much. I am a new person, Paul. Thank you. Of course. Alcohol is not the answer, but it does make you forget the question. Now, what's the question? That's for you to find out, but most likely it's something along the lines of who am I? What's my purpose? What's the point of life? How can I make the world a better place? Stuff like that. Now, I had no chance at addressing or even seeing these existential questions with alcohol in my life. So whatever answers you are seeking, alcohol is keeping you from finding. Recovery Elevator, go big because eventually we'll all go home. I love you guys.